Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox, centering the marginalized in Mormonism. Brother Derek, how are you doing today, sir? Great. I'm uh, looking forward to talking with you about the proclamation on the family and uh, I doing mean, some... are you? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> Alrighty. Okay, if you say so. Yes. And well, we're. I'm going to be putting it in dialogue with two sources, and we're going to see how that works out, and it'll and it'll be quite new. So, about to say, um, for anybody who's been listening to uh, listening to Beyond the Block for a while, we have referenced the Family Proclamation frequently around conversations that involve church policy with, you know, affecting members of the LGBTQ community. And I feel like personally, I, I actually called Derek, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago? Yeah, I don't remember. And asked him if he actually, yeah, if he actually wanted to do this episode or, and you know, in the Christmas episode as well. But the primary reason being, I don't know if we had anything additional to say about the family proclamation. Wait, We've bro, you know me. I'm always, I always have something additional to say. But that's even still like the family proclamation in particular, like I can say a lot of stuff about certain things as well, but also some of these things are just exhausting to talk about. Right. And as often as we've talked about the family proclamation and the way that the family proclamation is used and weaponized against members of the queer community, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to check in and just make sure that was going to be an okay thing to talk about. Because in my opinion, I don't feel like you owe any more time to the family proclamation if you don't want to spend any more time on oh, the family proclamation. Okay. Well, so that's where I was coming from. I knew you could always find something else to say. Right, and I think our listeners are looking for something. They they turn to us. Like this, they, uh, I hate to say they're dependent on us, but many of them, we are one of their primary go-to sources for a healthy, responsible, and liberatory approach to strong things in our textual tradition and are the challenging things in our textual tradition so that's what we're that's what we're about so thank you and uh for that well either way um i'm i'm glad that you're here i would have validated either decision that you made but uh i am that said i am excited to see what you uh have today because again as often as we've spoken about the family proclamation i Still, even knowing you, am just shocked that you have anything new to say at all about uh, about this document or mm. about yeah, this you know is, the implications this of the document for the faith. So um, let's go ahead and get right into it. But before we do, I want to remind you guys that we are a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, a collective of independent, interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion of all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought arts, and culture. Find out more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That's dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. So Derek, we have, um, uh, as it will be this week, it will be a discussion on the family proclamation. Like that's the whole come follow me lesson. We will be in Sunday school this week. So I am definitely anticipating, um, well, I'm anticipating a little bit of a mess. Um, yeah, you better so clean I, up that mess and make everyone afraid to speak any nonsense. Derek and I can do it. Derek and I have done this, uh, as many people who know us can attest, as people in our wards can attest. We don't allow uh, dehumanizing language about our identities to be spoken of in Sunday school. So if we can do that, we have every bit of faith that you guys can do it as well. Um, but anyway, with that... Do we want to say anything about the origin of the uh, family proclamation? Are we going to have yeah, time to cover well, that before we dive in? The thing in? is, I I don't have anything to say about that that hasn't been said elsewhere. But the yeah, but the yeah. brief thing is, it appears that this comes really out of the legal world, in that in order to have standing in a lawsuit in uh, Hawaii around marriage equality there, in the nineties. They needed to have some type of basis in their tradition for why even they would be harmed by marriage equality. And so at that appears to be the prompting of this. It appears that uh, that was the, the instigation of it. And, I don't, and I'm not going to go into the details uh, on that. This has been covered elsewhere. And, and, right, right, but right. But that's basically it. This is uh, 
not really some profound thing that plopped down from heaven. Although there's actually good stuff in the family proclamation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We talked about this. And here's what I I really strongly encourage all the listeners this week to go back to the one we the episode we did on May 10th, 2021, where we covered Doctrine and Covenants 49 and 50. And for whatever reason. Is that the one where you went backwards? Yes, that is the one where we went line by line. So if you're looking for an episode that kind of goes through line by line and finds the liberatory and healthy pieces of the proclamation and challenges the other parts and basically what we did was was really brilliant i hate to say that but uh no one else <laughs> has done it that way and we went through uh-huh. it backwards so if you're actually trying to go through the whole thing and, and interpret it that's the episode you want today i'm not going to be going through and interpreting the the, the proclamation because we did that what i'm going to be doing mm-hmm. is something new like i said putting it in dialogue with two Source sources. The first one will be Romans chapter 16, and the other will be mm-hmm. Nazi propaganda around the family. And that's going to be a big mess to talk about. Mm-hmm. Let's see. There's something else I wanted to say, and that was um, – oh, no, I, I lost what I was going to say. Something about uh, – yeah, I don't remember. Anyway, so yes, go back and listen to – to that one. Oh yes, and I like to to say something new. So I because I, people have heard me before, and as far as I know, this is new not just to me but to uh, no one else. As far as I know, has really looked at Romans chapter sixteen and what because that's a time capsule. A lot of people think of it as an envelope that you can just throw away because it has all these addressees on it and the senders and stuff. But no, this is mm-hmm. greetings. In a time where Paul couldn't be there in person, sent Phoebe, uh, the deacon, to Rome as his representative. And uh, it's just amazing that you see how the first century church worked. And we are the restored New Testament church. We should be living into this pattern, right? We believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church. And so mm-hmm. why shouldn't we study the actual names? There are 38 individuals in um, in Romans chapter 16. So we'll get mm-hmm. to that in just a second. But I want to talk a little bit about um, parallelomania first. So parallelomania is a term in the academic world used by Samuel Sandmel in the 1960s to talk about scholars or other people, sometimes apologists, will get really excited about, ooh, I can make all these parallels between these two sources, right? Mm -hmm. And people do this with the Book of Mormon. You see, like, oh, here's 38 parallels between the Book of Mormon and this ancient Egyptian text. And isn't that that interesting? And what they may not realize is some of those parallels may be coincidence or some of them may be com- explained by a common source rather than direct dependence mm-hmm. or some of these parallels lead to a distortion if you don't actually also, on the other hand, take into account the differences, right? If you look at only the similarities and none of the differences, you can really um, lead to a uh, fallacy where there's this sort of mis- um, really misleading connection made. And so here's the thing. I, see. I um, I don't want to be guilty of parallelomania, and I'm not going to put out any particular thesis there and say, well, I know, and this is my conclusion. I just say I have a lot of questions as why are these things so similar? Like what is the, the causality behind these things? Anyway, another thing I want to name is that the proclamation – oh, this is the thing that I forgot earlier. The proclamation was written by white men. We got to name that. It has the fingerprints of white men all over it. Uh, Apparently, there are sources that indicate that the Relief Society leaders were surprised. They were not consulted about. Yeah. And it directly impacts women, right? Women's Mm -hmm. roles, women's futures, women's leadership, women's equality. And the women were not consulted, which tells you Mm -hmm. what the leaders think about women. But it was. Was it Chieko Akazaki that talked about this? Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, they all the at the time, all of the Quorum of the 15 were white people as well. And we know that different cultures and different ethnicities 
construct family and gender roles differently, right? And so I was curious as to what the proclamation would have, uh, how it would have read if it had been written by 15 black women instead of 15 white men. It would have been very different. And I can't speak for black women, so I can't tell exactly what that would be. But I'm curious as to how, if we had a different, diverse authorship to this, right? Because God works through human tools and their limitations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, how it would have been written. Like, would we have seen more things about racism or uh, maternal health or or economic justice in the family or gender roles, uh, constructing gender roles differently? We've talked more about. Yeah, gender roles. Well, we've mm-hmm. talked more about uh, mm-hmm. yep. talked more about uh, you know equity in you know society, generally speaking, mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah, single just a parent other families, things. extended family yep. families. Yep. There mm-hmm. would be different cultures having input on access this to resources. Would stuff be like would that. have uh, made it a very different document. But yeah, it was written by lawyers, Certainly. and I hate to say I hate to hate on lawyers. Um, cause I have a, I, I have a friend that's a lawyer. Oh, I'm going to use, you know, when the people, way you said that just now, I got a friend that's a lawyer. When, when people accuse me of hating lawyers, I'm going to say, no, I have a lawyer friend. I can't hate lawyers. Like, I'm thinking about Evan Smith. So he's probably listening. I here. literally just, yeah, I was thinking about Evan and funny enough, just before I got here, I was just having lunch with a lawyer. And there's some cool lawyers in my ward and I Absolutely. respect them. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I know that although I have a theory that in the, in the, in the next life, there's no place for lawyers because there will be justice and there will be mm-hmm. direct rule by the uh, by the sovereign of the universe. So we won't have all of the mortality issues that we need lawyers for now. Yeah, so we need lawyers now, but we won't mm-hmm. need lawyers in the next. Oh, I hate. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not as inclusive <laughs> as inclusive as you all thought. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so let's get back Erasing to racing lawyers. And before we talk about this, I just want to quote one line that people miss. And there's a couple of ways you can take this. One line from the proclamation, it says, Happiness right. in family life is most likely to be achieved when founded upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yo, yo. That is so interesting you pointed that out because that actually stood out to me this time around as well. And funny enough, when I was on my mission, I literally quoted this piece all the time, but it hits mm-hmm. different now. It hits different. Sorry, go ahead. And I think it goes back to you've got to know the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why I center the New Testament. We have to center the Gospels. What did Jesus actually say? Mm -hmm. What did did Jesus actually do? How did he construct his own family? Yes, sir. Right, Because the New Testament does not portray him as being married or as having children. Mm -hmm, He constructed mm -hmm. alternative families, an itinerant band of men and women. He had women Mm -hmm. followers as well and women supporters and Mm -hmm. and patrons. And that's how he did family. And he basically redefines family. And the fact that we call each other brother and sister even to this day means that we've already redefined family and we're living into a New Testament view of a family that absolutely privileges the true chosen family over the biological family. That goes in line with something that's actually, I was impressed to find in the uh, Come Follow Me manual, which said the pattern on earth is meant to echo the pattern in heaven. And the Mm -hmm. pattern of heaven isn't one that is necessarily nuclear by our standards. Right, it's not. I just found that very interesting that that was even in the manual. And this whole nuclear family business, that isn't universal among cultures it isn't even universal among european europe this is a modern uh mess right I, we would mm-hmm. need a sociologist to go to to go into all this and a, and a historian to talk about this but for for ye- for centuries european world was very much village centered and extended family centered and it was it was not just a mom a dad and 10 kids or Five, whatever it is, right? Right. Families, three point two children, just constructed differently. And I think economic realities have changed things to the point where the post-war suburbs have evolved, and the way the workforce is like. There's just a whole bunch of factors that that led into this whole nuclear thing being becoming an ideal in the 20th century, and we'll see this in Germany as well when we talk mm-hmm. about the Nazis. 
But yeah, let's go back to, to um, Jesus. So let's talk about it says happiness in family life is most likely to be achieved when founded upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ did not teach the um, the supremacy of one gender over the other or the supremacy of one orientation over another. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus never commands us to marry. Uh, Jesus, I'm talking about the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. Now, some people say, well, Jesus whispered into the ear of the president of the church. Yeah, I'm not counting that because th- that's not accountable, right? We're accountable mm-hmm. for the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus never commands us to marry, never commands us to have children, never commands us to prioritize the biological family over the chosen family. In fact, does the opposite. Um, let's just take – yeah. and we're going to spend – James, you're gonna to have to listen through an hour of, of stuff, and we you might have to cut some of this later because we're all already right. like 20 minutes in, and I just barely got started. But jeez, how'd this happen? I don't know. Anyway, so okay. this is the narrative when Jesus was 12 years old, uh, traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover, and Jesus says in Luke 2:49 to his parents. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Mm-hmm. That really redefines family. Like for him, his biological family, although, well, Joseph wasn't his biological family anyway. Oops. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but he prioritized some other definition of family over that. And he did the same thing in, early in his ministry in Mark 3. This is verses 12. 31 through 35. Oh, Mark 3, okay. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And, oh, are they? And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Ooh. And looking Ooh. about at those who sat around him, he said... Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever yep. does the will of God, mm-hmm. he is my brother and sister and mother. Mm-hmm. 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 Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew ten thirty six and 37. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus' gospel never makes marriage and family the ultimate priority. Jesus allows for that, right? Because some people are, mm-hmm. are called to, have a, to, to marriage and children, and some people are not. But... This, like, did they realize when they said happiness in family life is most likely to be achieved when founded upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this was the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, subordinating all earthly relationships to the Lord Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. That is where you will find happiness. And let's talk about this. Not all people will will be married. Matthew 19, verse 12 says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Um, I, I'm not one of those, by the way. Uh, I, w- I would not want to do that. But mm-hmm. let's talk about this. So what are your reactions to all this? Like, what are the oh. teachings of Jesus on family? <laughs> yeah, you already hit it, my guy. Um, this was the primary thing I wanted to talk about today. It was the first thing I highlighted in my most recent reading of the family proclamation. I read that piece that we just quoted um, and then said to myself, how do you reconcile founding the life of your family on the teachings of Jesus Christ with the homophobia we often read into the family proclamation? It it doesn't make sense. We're we're understanding something. We're understanding something wrong here. Um, either the Jesus we believe in 
is a homophobe or our homophobia is a gross and dangerous perversion of the sacred text within the family proclamation itself is already a challenge of how we traditionally read it because we can't build a family on principles of Christ while treating queer people as less than it is impossible. And we got to sit with that. We, we got to interrogate any insinuation that the, that the traditional nuclear family is God's standard while such opportunities are denied to others. And while Jesus never established such a thing, and we got to interrogate this notion that gay love is somehow a perversion of that and further that Christ teaches as much. But uh, anyway, getting back to uh, addressing the question, I think you already nailed the, uh, the spirit of what needs covering, understanding the teachings of Jesus, understanding that much puts us in a better position to read this document. Otherwise we get moments like, Elder Holland back in August implying that Christ taught against gay love. He made he made a mess because he doesn't know. Yeah, and let's look at what Jesus did. Like he never um entered into a marriage of his own. He never married other people. Like he did go to the wedding at Cana because he was invited, right? Mm-hmm. Um but I would go to a straight friend's wedding right that doesn't mean i support it (laughs) uh (laughs) no i do but you know what i mean is it's yes sir like but here's how he actually constructed family let's look at john 19 verses 26 and 27 this is the famous place where jesus actually creates a family and he creates it based on adoption as the model chosen family this is the famous place where where he's on the cross and with his last dying breaths he actually creates a family and it's not a biological family he says mm-hmm. to uh the his mother woman behold your son and then he says to the beloved disciple behold your mother and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home right so you have a relationship between a man and a woman that's not based on biology and that's not based on marriage it's an adoptive situation like and that's really the way queer people create families so yeah and um let me just go back and talk a little bit more about um how this plays out in this uh the community uh of the churches of rome and the church in corinth from where paul wrote the letter to the romans um and so I'm drawing upon this article by Peter Lampe, who talks about what we know about the Christians in Rome in the first century and what we know about uh, all the names that are listed in, uh, in Romans chapter 16. It's really interesting because we can tell to some extent whether someone is Jewish or Gentile by their name. We can tell to some extent if someone was enslaved or a, a freed a freed person or uh, or if they were from a different class based on their names there're just some patterns that happen to go with the names of infl- enslaved folks in the in the Roman empire and so we can get a, a grasp on the diversity that was in in Rome we had a lot of lower class people in Rome we had uh, a mix of Jews and Gentiles we had a mix of men and women that were prominent we had a mix of classes we had a large number of enslaved folks we have a large number of uh, apparently single folks it's just amazing how how that was constructed what did you think of this uh, this article I sent you I honestly had no strong reactions to it. It it did remind me of some things you taught us a couple years back in the New Testament study of Come Follow Me. You uh, made sure to point out the women like Phoebe and Junia and their roles in in Paul's ministry, as well as how how this bucks conventional understanding of both hierarchical structures in ancient Mediterranean society, Paul's attitude toward women, and the general role that women took on in the Christian church. We, we, we see a community where they got influence, power, and capability that appears to be on par with the men. And that's not often read into the Bible. The, uh, the thesis of the paper wasn't really about that, but it did point 
things out that uh, mention women and their roles, which were not exactly traditional. And I thought that was pretty dope. Yeah. And so I'm just going to go and you could go into a lot of detail about Romans 16, but I'm just going to do a quick overview. I might not even list all the names in these categories, but there's like 30 of them (laughs) in the first uh, in the first place. We've got Phoebe, who uh, was the deacon of Sencria, which is the port or harbor of Corinth. Right. So here we have a woman who is a deacon. And she was entrusted with bearing this letter from Paul in Corinth to the Romans. And we know that she was of a higher class because Paul says that she was a um, a patron or benefactor for Paul and others. And so she had, and she also has the means to travel to, to Rome. Right. So then we've got uh, actually uh, only three married couples out of all these 38 people here. We've only got three married couples, or, or apparently married couples, right? We've got uh-huh. uh, Prisca and Aquila, who are Jewish, and that. Uh, then we've got Andronicus and Junia, and both are listed as being noteworthy among the apostles, right? And so here we have a, a woman apostle, Junia. Isn't that interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And then our other, our third married couple is Philologus and Julia in verse fifteen. The rest of these are apparently single. They could be widowed. They could be uh, a single, uh, unmarried, you know. But no one else is listed this way. And in fact, most of the women here are not defined by their relationship to a man. Here, Aquila uh, is uh, the uh, I mean, no, Prisca is is listed first. She is. She's first here, uh, and then she's defined by her relationship to her husband, and then Junia is, but most of the other women are named not uh, with respect to their relationship to a man. They are listed on their own terms, and we have six single women here, and five of these six are commended for their work for the church. We've got Mary, Trephina, Trephosa, Persis. You can tell based on the Greek uh, that she is a woman. The mother of Rufus and the sister of Nereus. Uh, We've got at least 16 single males or apparently single males. And and only one of those is designated as a worker. And um, we've got altogether 32 apparently unmarried folks. We've got the six married persons, three couples. We've got 10 women, eight of them. Eight of these 10 women are church leaders. We've got one deacon, Phoebe Prisca, who was an amazing teacher, and then one apostle, Junia. We've got 12 to 26 enslaved folks or liberated slaves. And we've got 11 Jews, and we can tell by the names. And sometimes Paul says, these are my kinsmen, and so we can tell that they're, they're Jewish there. But we've got really a working out of what Paul says to the Galatians, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, and there's neither male nor female. Like, this is the way Paul constructed family. And notice how they're supposed to greet each other with a holy kiss and how that's actually the the model of family is that's the family, right? And so when we look at what the Latter-day Saint cultural thing is with prioritizing a nuclear family, a nuclear family of certain means, um, and uh, the, the way it looks, right? It's just really, really interesting. It looks so different from from what we see in Romans chapter 16. And unfortunately, the Mormon, and I'm not, I'm not actually saying anything about our doctrine on this. I think our doctrine is the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this cultural approach to the family that has crept into our church from somewhere that makes it look very similar to some of the pieces of the Nazi ideals of the family. And this is going to be a quite controversial thesis for some of our listeners. Mm. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Lord's doctrine. 
right? We know the Lord's doctrine. What I'm saying is we have culturally departed from the Lord's doctrine on this and made an idol out of the heteronuclear family, especially the white family, the white rich family, the American family, uh, basically everything that Jesus wasn't. He wasn't wasn't white, wasn't rich, wasn't American, wasn't married um, as far as we know. And yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on this? This is going to be a tough conversation. People are going to be like, "What's Derek doing?" I mean, you said it right there. Just the o- the only thing I wanted to reinforce was just this idea that what we have come to understand as the ideal nuclear family, the heteronuclear family, Jesus was literally none of it. Like the only mm-hmm. thing he was, I suppose, was male. But even still, mm-hmm. uh, he bucked traditional understandings mm-hmm. and uh, notions of masculinity. Mm-hmm. So. You know, the conversation that we have around the teachings of Christ or emulating Christ and then holding that in contradistinction to the heteronuclear family and, you know, just all the baggage that that brings with it. I think we have to at some point acknowledge that our understanding of the family, at least culturally speaking, has done exactly what you said, departed from some principles of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what you're about to get into, or I think that's why you're about to juxtapose this uh, Nazi propaganda, uh, you know, next to where we are now and next to the the doctrine or the teachings of Jesus. So I'm actually anxious to get to that. I don't, for the record, I don't think it's that controversial. I think anytime you bring up the name Nazi or the word Nazi, uh, it's going to bring with it a certain weight. Um, Right. And on one level, it, 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 it people think like a parallel to the Nazis is somehow off limits or that you are or radical or you're you're being exaggerating. But here's the thing. The Nazis were real and they're not that different from us. I hate to say that, I right? But they could be us and they have been us in many cases. Like look at the history of America and the indigenous peoples, look at the history of America and black peoples, right? Mm-hmm. There's like if the if uh, if things were different, it could have been us. Right. There's not that much difference in human nature between we have demonstrated ourselves to be quite capable of our own atrocities. Right. And. uh, And I think just monsterizing the Nazis as somehow other or, or like they're alien or they're not even human or they're not even worth to be compared to others is makes no sense because they were us, right? They they are one particular expression of of humans doing their human thing. And I'm not minimizing their tragedy, I'm just saying that why why should it be off limits or why should a parallel to the Nazis be off limits? Like they were actual people who were actually a had a philosoph- had a political and a moral philosophy that that they did their stuff right mm-hmm. it, it's not discontinuous with the human experience it's part of the human experience and uh, sadly if we look at the history of the world and genocides it's probably more more continuous with humanity than something like um the people of, of fourth nephi where everything was perfect for a little bit right Anyway, so it shouldn't be it shouldn't be controversial and to to compare folks to the Nazis. Like I just don't see why that is somehow uh, um, an exaggeration. It's it's not. I mean they and uh, well anyway. So let's get back to this and let's get back to my thing about parallelomania that I mentioned. That I'm I'm not sure exactly what's behind these things as to whether there's a common source or a common because I'm not saying one clear one borrowed from the other exactly, but there's some some common stuff and I think what the commonality is is at least from my perspective a departure from the teachings of the biblical Christ. Like the Nazis were Christian flavored, but they did not like the biblical Jesus in part because the biblical Jesus was Jewish, right? And biblical Jesus right. taught stuff that completely con- contradicted everything they taught. Right. And we in our Mormon cultural view, and, and by Mormon cultural, I'm especially talking about Mormons in the United States. I don't know what Mormons in Argentina or Mormons in Ghana, how they 
construct family, right? That's something else. But mm. but especially this white middle class or upper class Mormon American family ideals where you have these picture perfect like basically the, the these pictures I see on Instagram. You know, these gotcha. these perfectly um you know, perfectly framed, glowy, uh with perfect hair and and um just you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, absolutely. These professional these photographers come the, by, and yeah. we've got these picture perfect, Disney-fied, idealized kids, family with my the daughter kids. Quinoa, my son Kale. Yeah, and then um, all of it with this luxurious soft hair. Did you know why Ivan Pavlov's hair was so soft? Sorry, know why whose hair? Ivan Pavlov. Um, no, I didn't even know that was a. Thing, yeah, his hair was so soft because he conditioned it. Damn it. <laughs> I walked right into that one. Yeah. Dude. Dude. Okay, well, anyway, back. Yes. <laughs> yeah, let's get back. <laughs> back to, um, so I sent you an image, and unfortunately this is this is audio, so people aren't able to to see but I sent you an image of one of the many Nazi uh, and this is from before Hitler's rise to power and you can tell yeah, it because this family on there is not happy right mm-hmm. so and here I am looking at it and I'm and here's what it says it's in German and it says men women and then it has this family of a father and a mother and then two kids two little children and then it says a uh, little caption, millions of men without work, millions of children without uh, a future. And then it says, save the German family. Vote Adolf Hitler. And so there's a couple of things I know. What, is, what are your reactions when you saw this picture? Well, I mean, the misery of the family was the first thing I noticed, but I was just like, what is the purpose of the propaganda mm-hmm. exactly? Because I, I mean, I took German in high school for this full disclosure, but I don't, I didn't know what was happening in here other than men and women. So my reaction was exactly, I mean, I had questions first, what is this propagating exactly? And, uh, right. you know, what is the message? Yeah. It's a pretty family, but they're in despair and they're in despair because Hitler's not in power yet. And you have an economic mm-hmm. disaster here in Germany. And um, but notice that it's um, it's the placement of the woman was what I noticed. Yes. Yeah. And um, it's uh, but it's a conventionally pretty family. They're just not happy. And notice that it's it says uh, million and men on Arbeit, millions of men without work. So here we've got Mm -hmm. the men being the breadwinner who can't provide. Um, the children without a, f- a future, an emphasis on... It doesn't save the family. It says save the German family. Right. Uh, and and so we've got... And then in some of these other things that I looked at, you've got very clear men's and women's roles, men uh, in work clothing and women in domestic clothing with aprons and bonnets or their, their mm-hmm. nursing children, stuff like that. Very clear. Right views of gender roles. And when I talk about gender roles, I should have a disclaimer saying that I'm coming at this not as a woman. So I cannot speak for women, and I don't want to do that. But I do want to name that gender roles impact me as a gay man, what I can do and what I can't do. And and it impacts straight men as well. Right. And it, it impacts women. And so just naming this, and also I need to name that not all women are going to be a monolith and not all feminists are going to going to be a monolith either of course so some women may uh, embrace and feel dignified by particular traditional gender roles and that's valid right as long as these um, as long as it's everything's consensual and everything's authentic and people are able to be themselves i have no problem with people and and gender roles right it's right. when we've got people who don't fit or that want to do something that's not assigned to their uh, 
perceived gender that you've got a problem or um, anyway. So let's go back and talk about some of the parallels I've noticed between the Nazi ideals of the family and the um, Mormon ideals of the family. And the first is mm-hmm. they hated the homos. They absolutely both hated the homos. Yeah. And um, the, the Nazis literally rounded us up and put us in concentration camps. Uh, not just gay men, but gender nonconforming people of, of all genders. And they really wanted to get back into um, the uh, a very particular way that family looks and family doesn't look pretty if there's gays in it right that there's that doesn't fit what they're what they're mm-hmm. wanting germany to look like and you know if you look at their propaganda on jews it's really interesting because it's german men who are presented as manly like making money with their hands by working in factories or manly work like farming and or um and it's the jewish men who weren't manly because they didn't they didn't make money with their labor. They made money with the labor of other people by rearranging their labor. Um, and so they were uh, not classified or p- depicted as manly. And it's the real German men that were like real men. And the women were real women. And it was all pretty um, the way they constructed it. So let's get back to um, some of these some of these parallels. Yes, they were anti-gay. Um like like Mormons, uh, they had conservative gender and family roles. Um, there is a spirit of nationalism. Oh boy, American Mormons. Oh, there's mm. something going on there. Um, <laughs> Indeed. And in both cases, and also something to be said there about the U.S. American appeal or influence of the uh, American culture mm-hmm. on the church abroad and in other countries. Like you'll notice, not just. Uh, the gospel has gone abroad, but so has, mm. um, you know, westernization. So you can see that all over our church. Yeah. So um, exactly. Another thing that the Nazis didn't like and historically Mormons didn't like was interracial marriage. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy, that that got that got the Nazis mad, like impurifying mm. the German blood with uh, with other races. They, they did not like that. Um, uh, another thing you've noticed is very conservative dress. You don't have uh, spiky blue hair, right? And we don't have piercings, and we don't have all this other stuff. And but part of this is a, a chronological issue. I, uh, but they did have radicals in the in Germany in the 1920s that did not look like this, right? They looked differently. But but we've got conservative dress. Uh, let's talk about stay at home mothers. The Nazis had a love for motherhood and they had a love for stay-at-home mothers they thought that the woman's place was in the home now let me just backpedal and say there's gonna be mothers listening to this that love being a mother and that's totally fine if you love being a mother that is amazing and honorable and it is a god-given vocation for those uh that that feel that that's that's fine so i'm not like Mm anti-motherhood but i think there's a particular way that that they glorify motherhood in a way that pedestalizes women or exploits women and and or limits women or 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 certain things of that and it limits men too right and so so that's what I want to want to say and so the the Nazis had a slogan for the proper domain of women and it's the 3 Ks not the KKK but it was Kinder Küche and Kirche which is children kitchen and church, mm-hmm. so they were supposed to be um, raised children. They were supposed to have roles in the church and roles in the kitchen. But the Nazis did not like women's leadership in in these other factors, in law or business, um, or all these other things. They did not like women's equality legally and equal rights. Now they had they had this like separate but equal thing. They claimed that women were equal but special and they got special roles, right? And that's just that's just how uh, how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is uh, an emphasis on young marriages. 
the Mormon cultural thing and the Nazi cultural thing is to marry young and to have good children quickly. Um, the Nazis incentivized marriage at a young age and incentivized having children with propaganda, with tax breaks, with loans, with with other things for um, – oh, and this only applies if you are uh, Aryan, right? If you are ethnically German and if you are have good genes and you are uh, non-disabled. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing that the Nazis did not like, um, disabled folks. Mm. And they really saw saw that. Um, uh, yeah, this emphasis on motherhood. There's also this militaristic thing that's happening. Obviously, the Nazis were militaristic, but I think we as Latter Day Saints, for almost two hundred years, have flirted with militarism. Like, and part of that is, well, you would say, well, we had to defend ourselves in <laughs> Kirtland. We had to defend ourselves in Missouri. We had to defend ourselves in La- Nauvoo. We had to join the Mormon battalion in was it eighteen forty seven, eighteen forty six era Mormon battalion, where we tried to be all American, like saying we're going to, you know, um, um. We're we're good Americans, right? And um, and so that's that's a problem. And obviously, I'm not militaristic. I'm uh, I'm a pacifist. I'm a nonviolence person in the name of Christ, right? Christ said, "Turn the other cheek." And and you're like, yeah, but but they we had to defend ourselves in Missouri. I'm like, did we? Mm-hmm. Did we really? Like, what would Jesus do? Would he defend himself with weapons? Like. Literally, um, if you're asking me, would well, would Jesus let himself get killed rather than defend himself with force? Yeah, that is literally what he did. He literally went to the cross and did not call for an armed um, defense of himself. The other thing is the Nazis were anti-sex work. Ooh, boy, did they not like sex work. Um, they uh, also were anti-abortion. They also um, had a really interesting perspective on marriage okay oh marriage that's a lovely word that everyone loves to say marriage right but here's what hitler said i'm just going to quote there's many things from mein kampf that i can quote but here's what hitler said about marriage and the purpose of marriage he said quote marriage also cannot be an end in itself but has to serve the one greater aim the propagation and preservation of the species and the race. Only this is its meaning and its task. Close quote. Again, I'm going to say this again. Marriage also cannot be an end in itself, but has to serve the one greater aim, the propagation and the preservation of the species and the race. Only this is its meaning and its task. And we see this is a very conservative position that the purpose of marriage isn't the um, authentic fulfillment of the couple, but it actually serves the state. It serves the people. It serves the this this larger duty to uh, to humanity to propagate. And this is exactly what people tell the gays. You hear this all the ta- time of like, well, a gays can't propagate. Well, first of all, we can, but b they say the purpose of marriage isn't the um, the fulfillment of the couple. It's to serve the state's function of having children and raising children. You know what? That is literally a page out of Hitler's playbook. It's literally in Mein Kampf to say that the purpose of marriage is procreation and the purpose of marriage is to benefit the larger human community and it's not for the uh, the two lovebirds f- for their own thing. And they use that against the gays all the time. You've heard this. This is like the one arg- – this is like their most – common argument they have mm. when you say well the gays are in love they're like mm-hmm. well too bad it's not about you it's about mm. ooh that's just that's such a gross perspective of marriage gross right. it's gross right. i just want to remind people that the that the song of songs we've got a very beautiful love relationship between a man and a woman uh, which to me it, it transcends being man and woman. It's not about them being straight. They don't actually justify, like, oh, I'm justified in this because you're of the proper gender. They know they never mention gender. They never mention uh, um, same gender relationships as a contrast. That because they don't have that, it makes theirs right. No, that's not their focus. Yeah, they're in love. So 
their relationship in the Song of Songs, their relationship is justified by two things. One, their attraction for each other, their genuine, authentic attraction for each other. They name how attracted they are to each other. And two, their consent. That's what justifies their relationship. It's not justified by the potential of children ever in Mm -hmm. in Song of Songs. Mm -hmm. It's not justified by any religious ritual. It's not justified in terms of Adam and Eve. It's not justified in terms of anything other than how they see each other, their attraction for one another, and their consent uh, for one another. Um, they, they they love each other, and many waters cannot quench love. And here's the other thing: is let's look at the New Testament purpose of marriage. And in the New Testament, at least according to Ephesians, the ultimate purpose of marriage is not for the state, it's not to bear children, it's not for the propagation of the species, it's not for the society at large. But the ultimate purpose of marriage in the New Testament is to represent the covenantal love between Christ and the church. And guess what? The marriage of Christ and the church, in the analogy, has no children. They don't marry each other in order to have some third offspring, they have a covenantal, committed love for one another. Christ loves the church. The church loves Christ. That's all they need, right? Mm. And so what I'm saying is the purpose of marriage, according to Hitler, is completely different than the biblical purpose of marriage in a number right, of ways. Right. And, it, and mm-hmm. it just bugs me. And I didn't even realize that Hitler said this until I did research for the podcast, podcast this week. Mm-hmm. Isn't that awful, this idea that the only justification of marriage or the main purpose of marriage is to have children? You hear that all the time, yeah, and that is yeah. literally from Hitler's playbook. So mm. I'm asking all y'all you listeners out there, do you want to be on Team Hitler, or do you want to be on Team Derek and Team Jesus and Team New Testament? Because I'm telling mm-hmm. telling you, one of those is not is not the one side you want to be on. Hmm. It's also very disconcerting that, uh, you know, unsettling that too many, I I mean, we haven't talked a ton about, uh, you know, Christ, the, the family structure that Christ implemented. I mean, we mm-hmm. talked enough about it, I feel like, and we can go back to that if we need to. But I just, the primary thing I'm unsettled by is just exactly how many similarities we got mm-hmm. with these with these ideas of family, these ideas of marriage that uh, that Hitler would agree with. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the implication of this whole thing that you just shared with us, Derek, is that we are way too similar and at times or perhaps mm-hmm. are in a constant state at the moment more similar to the family ideals of Hitler than those of Jesus. And uh, that is something to wrestle right. with. That is, that is a problem. That is something that needs to be talked about. And we and we don't really talk about it enough. Like mm-hmm. we we actually have tools available in the scriptures and even in the proclamation that can help us have a healthy dialogue around uh, around these ideas. But unfortunately, we grossly underutilize both of these resources in order to reinforce mm-hmm. ideas that make us comfortable. And unfortunately, those ideas that make us comfortable are more, you know, Nazi like. Or you know might be more Nazi-like than they are Christ-like, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that is that is something to sit with, my friend. Yeah, it's it's tough, and I think, and a lot of this isn't 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 even in our doctrine. Like the one parallel that I was thinking about. So one of the things I was reading in Mein Kampf was how Hitler was boasting how this economic prosperity and under national socialism you have many more single-family dwellings. And no, and that that living in in apartments is very like socialist or something, right? Because then you're using the resources a little bit more efficiently. But like owning right. your own home and having this, and I I look at these suburbs in Utah and all of these these huge single family homes, and I'm like, is that really what Jesus? wanted you to invest in jesus never had a single family he never even had a home right like mm-hmm. i i just want to name that um that this ideal of like oh having a, a suburban 
a single family home with a, a mom and dad and however many kids. Oh, the, the Nazis loved big families. Did I, I don't even, I mentioned that they w- wanted young families and to start having babies right. young, but they wanted Aryan families to have lots and lots of babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's this large pressure and financial incentives to have more more children. Uh, for example, they, they had this, poli- the Nazis had this policy where they would loan a newlywed couple 1,000 marks and for every child they had, they didn't have to pay back uh, one-fourth of that. So after having four children, you could have that loan of 1,000 marks completely wiped free. Like, And so that they really wanted um, babies and they really thought that that was, that was uh, the right thing to do. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's a it's a big mess as to how easy that these things can creep into mm-hmm. our uh, our church our church culture and and this I'm not don't even I'm not even using this as a criticism of the church like this is not a criticism of the church it's, it sounds more like for the record it sounds more like a lament for humanity right it's and and I have to say some of this stuff has crept into me too right. Some of this right, stuff like this is hu- this is human nature, and uh, especially like the the wanting to have wealth. Well, I'm not really good at pursuing wealth, but theoretically, I would love to li- be a little bit more financially comfortable than I am right now. Mm-hmm. And so, the 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 probably the one optimistic thing that I want to give people hope. I want to give people hope, and it's to go to Ephesians chapter six and look at what the author says about where our real struggle lies. So the author of Ephesians says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against... Uh, hold on, let me pause and get this, because I want to I wanna actually get this a bit better. Okay. Okay, here's what it says. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present shadow. I'm, I'm changing the word darkness to shadow because of the way darkness has been used against people of color. Um uh, against this present shadow, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is saying here that, yeah, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. I am not fighting against the church leaders. I'm not even talking about the church leaders here. My struggle is not with them. My struggle is against these invisible powers that have crept into the high places, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If there's spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, it is it is not um, a criticism of those heavenly places. It's a lament. It's a saying, look at how devious this is. And that's why we must take up the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand, withstand in this evil. Hmm. And so that's where I would put my hope for all of this, is to say... Look, I'm not fighting against the church leaders. That's that's my struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against these injustices, these invisible ideals such as white supremacy that has crept into me, into the church, into into us as a people, right? Mm-hmm. Straight supremacy is the enemy, not right. our church leaders. Racism right. is the enemy. Um, right. sexism, patriarchy, those are the enemies, not the people that, mm-hmm. that are that are victims of them um, and perpetuate them. And, you know, it's really sad that we talk about these gender roles, but gender roles limit what, what straight men can do, too. Oh, like, yeah, what if you want to do ballet? What if you want to play with dolls? What if you want to be a good, um, a dem- you want to be a stay-at-home dad? What if there's, like, there's some people, it prevents... <laughs> These these artificial gender roles prevent everyone almost from being authentically who they are if they don't quite mm. fit the mold. 
I've been talking way too much. What? How? How far are we with time? No, it's fine. Uh, probably we're at one oh five. Oh well, I should probably wrap things up there, and <laughs> and then get your your reactions. Any other reactions nah, to these things? Yeah, um, I am still sitting with the similarity of our values to Nazi propaganda. I. I hear the lament in your words and in your voice, and I want to reinforce that I believe I'm hearing your message the way you intend it to be heard. Juxtaposing uh, uh, Nazism next to our interpretation of traditional family values, that can be jarring to some folks and, you know, make them feel a way. I get that. For real, I do. Nazism close to anything we hold dear might make us feel a way. And uh, most recently, I'm, I'm sitting with how much this could have actually been us. We we talk about the Nazis like they're unattainable, like they're monsters that we could never become. And uh, they most assuredly were monsters, but they also weren't that different from us. We've we've seen a significant number of our uh, of our nation become victims of charismatic leaders who encouraged us to dehumanize our uh, our US American siblings to do violence to them and to do so under the guise of some higher morality or even God. On a, on a lesser scale, I've seen and I do see members of our own church doing that. I, I hope people also take what you've said today as a caution and reminder of the kinds of things human beings are capable of and things that could happen if we don't challenge problematic ideas in our own faith. I, I don't think I don't think I don't think things will get so out of hand like they did in Germany, but but things are already out of hand. Our our leaders are out here preaching homophobia in the name of Christ, and uh, queer folks are leaving. Children are getting disowned and bullied. College students are getting harassed on their campuses because the leaders enabled this behavior at best, or inc- almost encouraged it worse. I.e., the musket fire. Uh, so challenge the traditional interpretation of the family proclamation. That interpretation is not of Christ. It is satanic, and if we don't challenge it, we are complicit in propagating it. Uh, plus, challenging it is the closest thing you're going to get to punching a Nazi this Sunday. So, you know, be cool. Punch a Nazi. And if you can't punch a Nazi, interrupt the homophobe in Sunday school. Yeah, and it gets back to, I guess, part of the, the, the parallelomania thing. There are some substantial differences, which... Which I let me just name two of them. One is they we, they had a little bit different views on divorce. Uh, the Nazis did the Nazi legislation on divorce. They had some different views on um, sex outside of marriage. For example, they would their idolization of having Aryan babies was so great that they actually had programs for unmarried women uh, to to get impregnated by handsome young SS officers just to have more Aryan babies uh, without marriage, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's differences, and there, there's substantial differences. But I think at root, both of these cultural problems in part happen because of a not putting Christ first. They put something else first, the state, the family, the propagation of the Aryan race, the propagation of the human race. Like there's just... People are putting mm-hmm. something else first, and that's idolatry, putting something else in God's place, a violation of the first— That's it. Uh, the, the greatest commandment, love love the Lord your God with all your heart, and, and a violation of you shall have no other gods before me, right? I think this is really serious, mm-hmm. and it is mm-hmm. so easy to put something beautiful, uh, something that should be in second place, to put it in first place. Like, family is great. Um, but if the biological family gets put in first place when it should be subordinated to God, then you've got a big problem. If the state right. um, gets put in first place, uh, then you've got a problem. This, the state is is good. I mean, I I think um, eh, well, do I think the state is good? I don't know, but that's a bigger conversation. <laughs> Another conversation, yes, sir. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Satan works not by tempting us with evil things, but by tempting us with secondary goods to privilege those as primary and ultimate um, and putting them in Tillich's words to be our ultimate concern. And that is where Satan gets us. And I, I, mm-hmm. I should not point finger, fingers. I am probably 
I'm certainly guilty of this. Like if I tried to make learning first uh, over Christ, if I try to make my particular selfish appetites uh, first over Christ, then I'm, I'm, uh, then I'm, uh, I'm falling into the same trap. So I don't want to make it like I'm immune to this. I think this should be a wake up call to all of us that we must all stand mm-hmm. vigilant against um, against being misled in the in these ways. If it if it can even happen to the to within the church, well, boy, it can happen to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Well, there it is. And again, as a reminder, go back and listen to the um, um, Doctrine and and Covenants 49 and 50 lesson from May 10th of 2021. And like I said, I'm not completely making a parallel to say like, oh, I know that there's this this, um, direct connection between the two. I'm just I'm just having questions as to why our cultural ideals are so similar. It's it's almost on many levels. It's it's almost exactly the same as the Nazis, especially on LGBT stuff and especially on race and especially on the way the, these, these family looks. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's just a mess. And we just kind of have to, to mourn that. I should probably stop talking because right. I'm now saying this the same thing. All good, man. All good. I don't have anything further to add. So are we, uh, are we good to begin wrapping? Yep. I'm, I'm good. Very good. Well then, before we go ahead and, uh, Go over some brief housekeeping items. Just want to remind you guys that Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought, has a new podcast partner we want to put you on to called the Fireside Podcast with Blair Hodges. It features in-depth interviews about religion and culture featuring brilliant writers, scholars, activists, and more. If you're spiritual but not religious or vice versa or something else entirely, there's a seat saved for you at Fireside. Uh, you can learn more and listen to Fireside by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That is dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. Uh, Brother Derek, where can folks find us? You can find us at beyondtheblockpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at btblds, and also on Facebook. Yes. And also just by way of a special thanks, want to give one of those to David Doyle for editing the transcripts. Also want to give a special thanks to uh, Stephanie Martz and Angela Carter for being a big help with social media stuff and the team for doing the incredible work of assembling our episode outlines. Uh, Stephanie Peterson as well, Gabrielle Honda, uh, Christine Lestarge, Jen Altman, and Beth Johnson. These outlines, you can find those... uh, they also include uh, the Faithful Feminist episodes and the Holy Human episodes from the same week. So you're, you'll be able to have a little uh, one-stop shop for your Come Follow Me uh, study guide for the week. Uh, you can find a link to these outlines in the show notes as well as the drop-down menu on uh, our website. And you can also just put it into your web browser, tinyurl.com slash btboutlines. Same goes for the transcripts as well. You can find those also in the drop-down menu on the website and also in the show notes. Did I miss anything, Derek? Nope, I think that's it. All right. Then in that case, uh, thank everyone. Thank you, everyone, for joining us till we meet again next week. Yay, till we need meet again next week with more jokes. Bye-bye. <laughs>